and welcome to Fitcast. I'm your host Molly Edwards and today I am joined by Clara. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, so my name is Clara Swedland and I am an online physique coach with the BW Physique brand. Um, I'm also a bikini posing coach and I'm a trainee sport and exercise psychologist. So that's kind of me. So do you want to talk about a little bit like your competing history? I first competed in 2018 and in, in the bikini category, but I kind of fell into it because I started working with Vaughn, my coach, and initially I, like, I employed him, well employed him, started working with him because I wanted to do a fitness photo shoot, and as we started prep, I think I was maybe like nine weeks out from my photo shoot, and Vaughn had already asked me, like, would you like, have you thought about competing? And I didn't really know what he was talking about, but kind of as I was getting mean, I got more into like the bodybuilding world, as you do. And yeah, like nine weeks out from my photo shoot, I was like, you know what, I kind of want to do this. And so I found a show that was three weeks after my first my photo shoot. Entered it, it was a PCA Manchester show in 2018. And I rocked up, I didn't really know, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing at all, but I loved it, like it was just like so much fun. After that, stepped away and I was like, right, I want to do that again, but I actually want to come back knowing what I'm doing. So I competed again in 2019. And in that year, I did a PCA show. And then I also competed with UK Ultimate Physiques, where I came first in bikini fitness model and third in bikini. Made it to finals and placed third in both my categories, which was really awesome. And then I had already decided to take a year out, so luckily 2020 didn't really impact me in that way. And then competed in 2021, where I did five shows. Yeah, five shows. You um, did six. Let me think. So I did WMBF, their first Supernatural shows. I did the two bros. Oh, Because you did two in one day. I did two in one day, yeah. So I did the two bros, JT Grand Prix, which was an untested show. And then the Naturals show in the afternoon. Then I did PCA Open show, two bros, Natural British Finals. And then I competed with the two bros, um, French Federation, and did the last of the year, the Conqueror Classic, so the Pro Qualifier um, in December. And that is... That was a natural of... show as well, wasn't it? No, no, it was meant to be, but there wasn't enough competitors to have two separate shows. So it was going to be oh, like two separate shows, but in the end it wasn't. Um, so it was just like an untested pro qualifier. Ah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, so it was fun. That's cool though. Am I right in thinking as well, you were Vaughn's first client on stage, were you? I was his second bikini girl on stage. Oh. Yeah, he had a client who competed in the Scottish shows. Um, I want to say like in April that same year, but I was just like second bikini girl to step on stage. Oh, and yeah. it's pretty crazy when you think about it that way, yeah. Like bloody hundreds on stage now. Fuck I know. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you just see, decide to compete as a natural when there's so many girls using pets? I think for me it was like, firstly like naivety. I didn't actually realise that like loads of girls were on like, you know, even just like fat, illegal fat burners and or like, you know, steroids or whatever. So I didn't know that people were taking gear. Yeah. And then also just, like, once I obviously found out, I think, like, it was just important for me, like, I don't know, like, my aspira- my aspirations with bodybuilding were always to just be, like, the best bodybuilder that I could be. I know, and I know, like, some people might be like, oh, you're limiting beliefs, but, like, I know I'm never going to, like, going to make it to the IFBB Olympia, for example. Like, that's yeah. not my aspiration at all either. Like, that's not 
But the what thing I is, if that's not what you want, that's fine. Yeah. Not everyone needs to be a prick. That's it. And it's just like, it just didn't feel like it was worth it. And I don't know, for me, like, it was important to be able to, it always has been important to be able to see where I can take my physique, like, what the limits of my physique are. And yeah. then I just felt like, before I even reached that potential, like, I wouldn't want to jump on gear anyway. And even now, like, after having done it naturally for a few years, um, I don't see myself even, like, being interested. I just... I just Not prefer really. no. I just prefer pushing my body to its limits and kind of wherever that ceiling is. Just being quite happy to just explore that and continue to progress in whatever shape or form um, I can, and you know, naturally. That's really interesting, actually. So, what's kind of like the differences? Because obviously, this year especially, you competed with both natural federations and tested federation and untested federations. Yeah. Sorry, it's weird because. I did three natural shows and three untested shows. Yeah. The first natural one was the only one where we had to sign, like, a waiver and we got um, drug tests done. That was a WNBF. That was yeah. WNBF, yeah, because they kind of are part of, obviously, the WNBF world and they're, I'm pretty sure, like, alongside with UKDFBA and double, no, BNBF, they're, like, really highly regulated. Like, the standards are really, really yeah. high for clean athletes. I'm pretty sure that like, you have to be drug-free for 10 years um so if someone was to compete like one year come off gear they wouldn't they still wouldn't be able to compete with them yeah. um and so i had to kind of do a p-test for them and sign like different paperwork and whatnot when you sign up for the show the other two ones that i did were, were two bros and you just had to sign a waiver for them oh so yeah that was that was all um so again like some question marks in there but because there's lots of opportunities for like kind of people who are on gear yeah. To compete with them, like you could kind of anticipate that people who were there would not be cheating, but you can, you never know. No. Um, and I don't like the main difference is obviously like the standard more often they're not especially sort of like around your beginner categories and and whatnot. And you can just see kind of the look, like girls are just a bit harder, a bit more vascular. Yeah. Just the condition is different, but in saying that, like some people that I met at natural shows just blew me away I was like I oh, cannot believe yeah. like your physique um but other than that like in my experience every show I've been to like people have been so lovely backstage there's never been a difference between like you know untested or, or natural shows it's always been like such a great vibe so I'd say like that's the main thing I do think though like in in natural shows people take I think people take a lot of pride in being natural um, I think they do yeah absolutely. and I don't think like there's necessarily like a moral righteousness to it it's like because taking drugs and bodybuilding is legal right like, oh, there's nothing yeah. wrong with it and like most people do yeah exactly and yeah. so I don't think there's anything wrong with it either personally I just think that for those of us who do choose to say natural there's almost like an appreciation of saying like yeah it's almost like a lot of people do that because of the like the, the moral inclines and they're like you know this is really important yeah. to me to stay natural um so there's just like that shared shared feeling and shared sense of like yeah this is how we did this and you know we didn't use you know the likes of clan or, or yeah. t3 or, or whatnot to get staging and people still bring unreal condition and incredible physique oh, absolutely. Yeah. so I, I literally think that that's the only difference everybody else has always been like super sound when i've competed so yeah i think that's it yeah it's i i think as well with the wmbf to me that's really nice that it's so tested as well yes. because, I mean, I've seen people... I don't know what it is recently. I've just seen a few people post 
oh, I'm natural now. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I know. I've been off gear for six months, so now I'm competing naturally. Yeah, that's not how it happens. I'm not competing naturally, no. mate. You've been, like, On jabbing gear. up every fucking few days for the last few years. Exactly. Like, that's it. I think, like, it's really important to... More so, like, to give athletes the peace of mind that they are in a level playing field. Like, especially, like, yeah. bikini and whatnot. Like, it's... <laughs> You can find some incredible natural bikini athletes that could Absolutely, be like yeah. pro level and whatnot, but like I'm sure Emma Jack is. Yeah, well, the, and I'm pretty sure like Phoebe Hagen. I, I don't know about it now, but like she was always like kind of like yeah. natural type of level. Um, Kate Arrington is. Yeah, and and so there's nothing like you can build a fucking pro level physique without oh, a doubt, bikini, without gear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for for some of the other categories, like I do think it's really important to just have that reassurance that everybody is at the same level. Like, mm. no one has taken... I don't want to say shortcuts because I'm not disrespecting the work that still needs to go into prep and into bodybuilding. Yeah. But, yeah, just, just that communal sense of, like, you know what, we've all done this without any assistance and, like, that's pretty cool. And just knowing that that's being placed at the centre of what the Federation is about. Yeah. Like, that's really pretty special. cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um. So, like, what do you hope to achieve with bodybuilding? Because I know you said it wasn't pro cards. Yeah. I think for me, like, bodybuilding is so much more than the competing side of it. So, obviously, like I said, I would love to be able to push my physique to its max and just, like, see what I can achieve. I think I've got, like, at least another season in me. I'm taking a few years off stage now. I'd like to compete in a few years' time. After that, like, I do want to start a family. And maybe, like, after that, like, maybe I'll start competing as a master. Like, I don't married, know. guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fucking adult. But no, um, so I would love to become a natural pro in, like, a natural federation. For example, like, a pro bikini in, like, WMBF. Like, that That's would be really fucking cool, yeah. cool. But for me, it's just... I want to be able to just take my physique to, like, as far as I can. I want to be able yeah. to spend the rest of my life bodybuilding and training like a bodybuilder living the lifestyle of a bodybuilder because to me it just brings so much just not just structure and purpose and meaning but I just really enjoy it I love how living the bodybuilder lifestyle gives you something attainable to do every single day you feel like with your meals by paying attention to your sleep by paying attention to your supplements to your training I feel like I'm putting a little marble in a jar every single day towards my life and almost like having that chance to put aside time to work on me constantly because you you can always be better you can always get better and you constantly are getting better and working to be better and I just think like it's so cool that you can do that with something as what's the word I'm looking for like something as almost like intangible as the perfect physique yeah because you're never going to get it even like when you're shredded and peel on stage like that physique doesn't last more than peak week. Yeah, right? that day, really. That's it. And yeah. so I just think it's so cool that you can work so hard towards something that with a process, like, where you just need to value the process because if you don't value the process, like, the end goal is it's just, me, in my opinion, it's meaningless. And so for me, it's just being... What, what I hope to achieve in bodybuilding is to be able to, yeah, take my own physique as far as I can take it if I can make it to the likes of, like, pro level even like world level stages like that would be incredible um but I guess from the sort of other side from the coaching from the psychology side I really like to make the bodybuilding space a much more 
I'm going to call it a, like a safe space. Yeah. And we can get into that in a bit more detail in a second. But yeah, this is kind of that. my next question for you. Like yeah. bringing your sort of psychology background into bodybuilding. Like what's exactly kind of like yes. your aims and stuff of that? Oh, so many aims. So like <laughs> I said, I'm a, I'm a sport and exercise psychologist in training. So the angle I work at is kind Do of we, both... Sorry, can we just clear up the training bit? Because like when you say that it makes you sound like you're still at uni right but no. you're not no i'm not in so uni. you were telling me this earlier but yeah. like what does it mean yeah okay so to be a trainee means that i have completed all my basic training requirements but i'm currently doing like the applied practice side of training so essentially i'm competent in being able to apply therapeutic modalities yeah. with people like i can run a behavior change intervention but I work closely with a supervisor who makes sure that I am keeping my clients safe in what I'm doing, who monitors and assesses the work that I'm doing. I'm accountable to the British Psychological Society who have like a code of ethics that I need to abide by and every six months I need to submit you know, evidence of the work that I'm doing and documentation yeah. and proof of what I'm doing so that they can make sure that I am working in line with these ethical boundaries, regulations. And same with my supervisor. She needs to make sure that I'm doing, that I'm practicing in a safe way, that I'm not doing anything crazy with clients, that I'm keeping my clients safe, but also that I'm keeping myself safe when working with my clients. So that's what it means to be a trainee. And obviously in a few years' time, because I'm doing it part-time, in a few years... So how long does this take? Because you've been to uni, you've completed that, you've done masters. It's going to take... By the time I qualify, I'll have been active like proactively working towards being a chartered psychologist for nine years but it'll be realistically it will be 12 years that I'll have spent studying and working towards that because I took a gap year in between my undergrad and my master's to train as a personal trainer and like um group fitness instructor and then the pandemic kind of put a a bit of a delay to my formal training starting, but I was still working with my supervisor. I was still studying alongside yeah. that. So it'll take you about 12 years to qualify. You can do it in less time, but um, the minimum, if you were to take the quickest route towards it, it would still take you se- between seven to eight years to qualify. Um, yeah. That's mad. I know, it's a, it's a long time, which is why I have such a big frustration with people who call themselves mindset coaches after prepping once. It just, it does my head in because they don't understand what actually goes. And, and people, of course, in the public just don't understand what actually goes into qualifying and into having a protected a title. Yeah. So I suppose like what I want to do with the fitness industry and with bodybuilding specifically is just to be able to equip people who prep with better like psychological tools to manage your prep to manage kind of the the all the different stages of bodybuilding of being a bodybuilding Mm. athlete but also helping coaches create uh i don't can explain what this means but like more psychologically informed environments in their coaching so teaching coaches how to communicate better with their clients when someone's having a really difficult time how to motivate their clients without telling me that without telling them that they just need to work harder, um, how to support a client who's really struggling with body image, how to support a client who um, has messed up on their diet, on a prep, for example, or even how to help clients come out of that post-show phase in a much more safe and supported and just, quote-unquote, healthier way, like yeah. a psychologically healthy way. So almost like 
equipping prep coaches particularly with the skill set to be able to assess a client before they even start prepping them, think about what things they might need to put in place during that prep for that client to come out the other side and have tools to fall back on and not have that feeling of coming to the edge of a cliff and just fucking falling. Yeah. And ending up in a really fucked up space afterwards. Because I always say this, I think prep and kind of bodybuilding in general, it's much more a mindset game than it ever is a physical game. Uh, But as coaches, we spend so much time looking at the, like, what does our client physically look like? Yeah. How to train them to grow their muscles, you know, physically in a gym. And it's a lot of research into that, like how to prep someone. And that, again, it's diet and training. Mm -hmm. It's all diet and training, diet and training, diet and training. But actually you're missing out that key component and it's so of the mindset yeah. yeah and the thing is that it's a shame because ultimately like it's not someone who qualifies with a level three pt right it's not your responsibility to know all these things like you don't have to know them but the pt qualification like it's almost like when you get your driving license you, you pass it but then you learn how to drive after yeah you get to your level three PT. Shit. that's it and then you learn how to coach people afterwards and there's just like such a big gap in the behavior change and the actual psychological skills that people don't get taught. Like you get taught how to train someone, you don't get taught how to work with someone necessarily. And there's so much nuance in there. And because particularly with bodybuilding, like there's no course out there that says sign up to this course to be a bodybuilding coach. Like it doesn't exist. No. And if it were to exist, 90% 90% of it would have to be run by a psychologist and if someone ever and if someone ever pulls this course together and they don't have some sort of like formal training in that space like I wouldn't spend my money on that because what they're going to teach you like well yeah you're not going to take anything like valuable in in the mindset sense from it so again it's not to say that you have to have this knowledge like you don't have to get a psychology degree in order to be a prep coach but it's really fucking helpful to spend some time understanding psychology understanding behavior change understanding empathy communication motivation like the actual theory and practice of it to be able to be an effective coach but also i think as well as a coach it's quite important to be able to step back and go do you know what you're really struggling mentally Mm -hmm. and like i've actually already spoken to one of my clients she's a bit worried about coming out of post show yeah and i was like look if you've got any problems i'm gonna send you to clara yeah like go and have a session with clara and talk to her and because I know you know I can help as much as Mm. I can but I know that I'm not qualified in that and if she's gonna have a real bad situation and a really bad time you know I can put as many tools in places I can think of to Mm. help her but you know what if she's gonna have a bad time I'm not qualified to deal with that yeah and I think it's and I'm not gonna be helpful enough yeah and I think like there's such a big problem with like coaches not recognizing their scope of practice or feeling like like I said like feeling like it's their responsibility like it's not like no one expects you to have all these tools you're expected to kind of be able to spot them and I always say this like there's nothing wrong with as a coach holding space for mental health holding space for these conversations but that's one thing and it's a very different thing to think that you're qualified to advise someone and I think the main issue is that a lot of people don't see that it's almost like they don't know what they don't know yeah. And then when the client presents with like certain issues, they just say, oh, well, this worked for me or this worked for this other client and they apply it to them. And now, honestly, most of the time, like it's likely that it will work. But when it doesn't, what happens then? 
that's when that client needs the most support and that's when that coach doesn't know what they're doing and they might just be labeling this particular client as difficult, non-adherent, lazy, greedy, whatever that might be. And where does that lead that person? Like, yeah. that's where I think exercise, well, sport and exercise psychology can be so useful because not only kind of pre-equip the coach with the appropriate kind of tools to manage those situations, but also you can create those referral pathways and then, as you said, if someone does get referred to an applied sport and exercise psychologist, they can work very explicitly and very deliberately on repairing those relationships with exercise, on working through some of those issues. And even in that situation, if the like sport and exercise psychologist isn't qualified to work with them in that scope, they can then refer them to a clinical psychologist who might be like in the more kind of serious cases. Um, who might be able to support them further. So it's, it's just so important to know where the limits of your scope of practice are, what your competencies are and what your strengths are as Absolutely. a coach, and also have those relationships with other people so that you know, right, if there's, like, how can so-and-so support my client or what can I learn from a psychologist that I can bring into my coaching that actually is going to make my life as a coach a lot easier. Sorry. <laughs> That's going to make my life as a coach a lot easier because I have the confidence that when a client says A, B, C, and D, I know what I can put in place because yeah. I've worked with the psychologist alongside me that I know this is more than likely going to be effective and it's going to be helpful. And if it's not, that when I kind of can pass them on to to someone who's more like more qualified than me and for this type of work yeah and I think as well it's good that you're in the bodybuilding industry because mm. you're going to understand it as well yeah. if someone has an issue like for me personally I've been to see um people and they've just blamed all of my issues mm. are due to bodybuilding <laughs> and I'm like oh, what I know and I know. you know and I know um a friend of mine as well all of his mental issues are blamed on steroids. Yeah. And I'm like, what? No, it's so messed up. I think like, it's... it's that blanket statement. And again, it's a shame because, of course, unless you're in the world, like you just don't understand it. And it's not to say that they couldn't have a contributing factor. Like we know that thinking a lot about our bodies, we know that thinking a lot about our food, we know that that can predispose us to, you know, some disordered exercising or eating patterns. But to narrow it down and single it down to like one factor like bodybuilding it just it suggests that that professional is just like not listening and when you can understand it from this from the lived experience perspective of having been there it, you you know or you might be better equipped to separate what's coming from bodybuilding and what yeah. pressures are coming from bodybuilding but also what other questions do you need to ask um what other information might be important for you to understand why someone is maybe presenting with a specific problem why someone's having a given experience and it can just help you broaden that understanding like just to give you an example if someone's showing up to me and they're saying that they've got loads of anxiety around um food right they've yeah. got loads of anxiety around food and they, they're they a competitor and maybe like they're coming they've just finished a prep but they're like super stressed about food Yes, I know that competing is going to increase their awareness and focus on food, but I also know that having support systems around them is going to be important. I also know that understanding their work environment is important. Understanding, like, who do they live with, who's around them, who supported them through that prep. Yeah. Like, their exercise history, their eating history, 
all those things help me create a much more broader understanding of how we've come to be and not just say oh it was because of prep because funnily enough if they already experienced some of these things before they even knew about bodybuilding then how how can we blame it on bodybuilding it might have just accentuated how they felt but it's not the single it's It's not not a single factor no and and it never ever ever is like everything makes sense in context and like we're hardly you know we're not like computers where you put in a code and there's a given response like we respond to everything that's around us. And, you know, that's why even when people say, like, no two preps are the same, it's because every prep changes with its circumstances, which is why some people find some preps really easy and other preps really hard. And it's not not the bodybuilding. That's not the common denominator. Like, it's everything that else that's going around. So um, I don't know where I was going with that point. But, yeah, it's so much more. Like, you can't blame everything on bodybuilding. And having been there allows you to recognise... Or separate what could be bodybuilding or what could maybe be something different. Yeah, and I actually had a friend of mine um, and we had a chat one day and we were saying, like, you can't be depressed. He was like, you can't be depressed on prep because you don't have time to be depressed on prep. Yeah. And then when you come out, that's when things, like, can get really hard. Yeah. And, you know, you can go to, you know, like a normal psychologist and they'll be like... Because you did bodybuilding, you're like, well, no, actually, it's probably not because I did bodybuilding. The bodybuilding helped me yeah, not be depressed. Because. And then why? I came out and I've just had all of this stuff like built up in me. And now I'm really depressed. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, and I think it just, it, it it's too narrow and it's too shallow to to assume that that is the case. And as you said, you know, when you are, when you are on prep, it's not that you can't be <laughs> depressed. It's like you're running your life like a military operation and like, Prep does require you to put all your focus into that. And I think the issue is that because it's so, because it demands so much of our attention, often we can end up only nurturing that part of us. Yeah. Because because it inevitably requires that. Like, you just mm-hmm. have to be so focused on completing your prep if you want to step on stage knowing that you did everything that you could. And so it's not necessarily that it was masking the depression. It's just that, like, when you come out of it on the other side and you no longer have the drive and the focus to get up and do all these things and you're really tired and your body's recovering and you maybe start to realise that life, going back to normal life, you know, civilian life or muggle yeah. life, as I, as I maybe sometimes <laughs> call it in the joking way, like, it's really challenging because you're not constantly getting accolades for the way that you look. You might not be in an environment that inspires you at work whereas when you meet people that competing like a bodybuilding competition shows like everyone's got a really cool story like people are super inspiring and like that's really uplifting but then you go back to your normal job that might just be like you know just 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 any job really yeah. and that can be really challenging because you realize fuck you know this isn't bringing me that spark and that joy that I was getting through prep and now I'm not getting all these accolades and Maybe during that time, you know, I've ignored these other aspects of me and, like, these other hobbies that are really important to me. And now that I'm wanting to step away a little bit between me and bodybuilding, like, I've got nothing else under my table. Yeah. And that's really hard. Like, that fall is really challenging. And so for a professional to turn around and say, well, you're feeling low because you did a competition and, like, you know, maybe now you'll know 
you're running a TRT dose or whatever. You're, yeah. like, you're not taking as much gear. And that's why you're depressed. Like, it could be, but, like, it's such a narrow focus. And it doesn't... Ha- not having been there makes it really hard, or a lot harder, I suppose, to empathise with the levels and the just the shit that you end up going through when you're on prep. Yeah. And understanding how it just so happens that, like, you ignore even the things that you love the most in your life for this particular goal that, like, once you step off stage and you're just, like, a few, like, even a few weeks after prep, you're just, like, what was that all about? Like, was that just, like, the craziest fucking shit I ever did? Like, what was the, not what was the point, but, like, what was the point of that? Like, it's just a bit weird. Um, So when you've not been there, again, not to say that you can't work with a psychologist who hasn't competed, they might still be able to really help you, but having that experience helps you I think just connect in many ways because you and I suppose more so because the person you're speaking to like when I speak to bodybuilders they know that I know so they don't have to explain it yeah and it's not for me to share my lived experience with them but as long as they know that I know they might be more willing to trust me because they they don't have to explain it they know there's no judgment there's no shame um in you know, they they can't be afraid of telling me or, like, weird about telling me how much cardio they had to do, how little they had to eat, how much gear they had to take, because they understand that I have an appreciation of what that means. Yeah. Um, and that can really help just build that foundational level of trust with, you know, a consultant practitioner, whatever you want to call it, psychologist that you're working with, um, and just help you move through that a little bit better, I think. Yeah. Thank you. So I know, like, a lot of competitors struggle with, like, cravings and often binge eating, not just like post show, but also on prep as well. So, do you kind of have any tips on how like you can overcome something like this? I think like the most important thing, in my opinion, is to make sure that before you start prep, you have put in tools or like skills that you're practicing that can help you during prep. So, particularly the main thing that I think helps is applying a degree of like mindfulness. And I know it sounds really airy fairy, and people hate cotton wool and airy fairy but hear me out on this one essentially it's just being able to have a way that you can really assess your own levels of hunger and satiety before you even start prep so that you're very attuned to how you feel now that's step one having ways that you can ensure that you're eating mindfully is more like a step two but it's linked to that so making sure that even in off season you're not just scoffing down your meals that like you are taking your time to eat you know, enjoy the meals. The amount of people who will demolish a meal in less than 10 minutes is absolutely terrifying. Like, it's crazy. That used to be me. Yeah. And I'm not bad enough. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing is that being on prep requires you, like, when you're hungry, like, you want your food to last you as long as possible. But if you're yeah. not used to paying attention to your meals, you're going to, like, you're going to really struggle because things get really hard really quickly. Yeah. So practicing that before prep, um it's so useful if you're listening to this and you already are like i don't know halfway through prep or close to the end don't panic you can start to implement it now just timing your meals you know taking your time with them putting your cutlery down in between but you know mouthful or whatever like that's really helpful um and i suppose it's for me at least one thing that i found has really helped is um always seeing prep as a choice 
And I know, like, one thing that goes along around a lot in the bodybuilding industry is saying that, you know, preps are privileged. Now, I get it. I get the argument. I, I hear it. But I think that sometimes when we phrase it as being a privilege, we feel like we owe, we owe something to it. Like, I'm so privileged to be in this position, I can't fuck up, which then creates that pressure. Yeah. To not fuck up, you're like, shit, I've been granted this privilege, I better live up to it, as opposed to seeing it as a choice. And when you reframe prep as a choice, even though in the back of your mind you'd still see it as like some sort of obligation, it can really make that difference to take the pressure off, like knowing that you have unconditional permission to eat. You have unconditional permission to stop at any point. But is that what you want to do? Like you can always have a choice, but when you don't feel like you have a choice, it just makes it a lot more challenging. It makes you feel like you're not... um, that you're not making the decision to engage in it. And what we know, certainly from psychological research, is that when people feel like they don't have a choice in how they live their life, particularly around exercise and food behavior, that makes them less likely to be motivated in like a positive or intrinsic way towards those goals. So reframing your prep as a choice that you get to make can be so helpful because... When it comes to those moments of wanting to eat the house down, because you will have those moments of wanting to heat the house yeah, down, of course. you also have slip-ups, most likely, especially in first few preps. Um, when you can pause and remind yourself, like, this is a choice that I can make, it does make it just a lot easier. Like, I had times in this most recent prep where I went, like, there was peanut butter in the house, there was chocolate in the house, and I went, fuck me, like, I really really want to eat all of this and I can if I wanted to I can but is that the choice I want to make right now is that the choice that is most aligned with my values at the moment is this most aligned with the direction I'm trying to take for the next couple of weeks no and in that moment I have a choice to make and almost like reframing it in that way sometimes just helps create enough of a break between those automatic thoughts because of course your body is hungry. Your body's a. Yeah, it's think, a survival machine. Yeah. So your body's gonna do anything it can for you to want, like to to help you override. You're literally, and I always say this to girls: you are fighting natural instinct. Exactly. And when people slip up and they do binge on prep and whatever, and like it's this whole like you know, oh, I must not want it enough. I'm not gonna. You're you're literally fighting nature. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like it, it's a shame because a lot of people that have become really big names in the bodybuilding industry. Like, they live their life. Like, they live, breathe, and everything. Like, they won't even fucking have a pizza in their off-season, which I don't necessarily think is, like, the healthiest approach, but whatever. It's not my life to live. They have a choice, and that's the choice they're making. Awesome. If it makes them happy, that's great. But for most of us, like, food is really enjoyable. Like, you know, people think that they're bad people for having crazy. I'm like, dude, like, chocolate tastes amazing. Like, yeah. what? Like, h- how is that a bad thing I to want chocolate? I that are like, oh, I just not really into, like, chocolate and donuts because I just like broccoli. I'm like... Yeah, I... You're lying. I You're know. literally lying to yourself. And I also cannot relate. But yeah, no, it's just that thing where it's not that you don't want it enough. It's just that you are fighting. You're fighting nature. So... Because we've got, if we imagine our brains, we've got kind of like our reptilian brains all in the inside that kind of regulate our kind of automatic responses, kind of your fear response, your anxiety, your stress, all that comes from that reptilian brain inside. 
And the outer brain is the part of brain that like evolved a lot, lot later, like once survival was sorted. And that's our sort of thinking brain. And essentially all we need to do to help us manage those cravings and urges and prep is just create enough of a pause between the automatic brain response and our prefrontal cortex or the front of our heads that developed a lot later to be able to allow us to make a more rational paused decision. And I think understanding that you're going to be hungry on prep is so important. I found suddenly this prep, like trying not to avoid hunger just saved me so much grief because I was just able to accept it and go, you know what? Yeah, I feel hungry. Like, let me just get through this. Previous preps, I struggled a lot more with food focus because I was trying to avoid hunger and I was trying to eat jellies. I was trying to drink like Diet Coke until the hunger went away and it never fucking went away. Um, and accept, So accepting hunger and having strategies in place to be able to kind of at least mindfully eat so that you can pay attention to what you're eating, those can be really helpful strategies to begin with. The third and final strategy is just understanding that if you do fuck up, like there's nothing wrong with it. Like, you know, you're human. And so having ways to show yourself compassion and show yourself kindness and care and treat yourself as a normal person is really helpful too because even on the days, like even if you don't mess up, even if you feel like you absolutely do not want to do your cardio, you don't want to do your steps, you don't want to do this and that, having ways to speak to yourself in a way that is not derogatory, that doesn't like talk down, that you're you're not talking down to yourself and thinking that like you're weak or or whatever it is, because you can't be fucked and used, and everyone on Instagram seems to be able to manage these things. But they don't. Like, they don't. No, we're all human. So, yeah, making sure that you are practicing that kind of self kindness, whatever that might look like for you, um, I think that can be just so helpful and transformative in that prep experience and afterwards too. Because if you're if you're used to speaking to yourself kindly during prep, when you start gaining weight back again you'll clock it when you're speaking to yourself negatively because you'll be like, hang on a second, like this is not, this isn't kind, this doesn't feel nice and you'll have practiced enough that you can change it or at least recognize it and maybe put places in place, things in place to to change the story that you're telling yourself about yourself, I think. Yeah, you know, and like for both female and male competitors as well, like putting weight back on post-show, you know, for some people, like myself, like, I'm kind of okay with it. Mm. Um, but for other people, that can be, like, super-duper scary. Yeah. And they can often, like, under-eat on their plans, do excessive amounts of cardio, because they're so terrified yeah. of, like, putting the weight back on. Mm. I think that just speaks to, again, making sure that during prep you're nurturing other aspects of, like, who you are. I think the, the main at least in my, in my opinion, and again, this isn't like psychologically informed, I don't actually know what the research around this is, but if all, if your whole personality becomes your body during prep, yeah. when that starts to disappear, obviously you're no longer shredded, you're no longer striving for that leanness, and you've got nothing else to hold you up, like, no wonder it's scary, like, because it's all you feel like you are. So my biggest tip to every single client that I work with and anyone who comes to me is always to say make sure that you keep nurturing the other aspects of you during prep because when prep ends you're gonna have to double down on those things like you know if you can if you enjoy your job like 
invest everything into your job, like really pour your heart and soul into it. Well, obviously, continue to do that while you're on prep, but when you come out of it, you'll have that to go back to, and you feel so inspired by the new energy that you have to continue giving in your job. And that's going to make you realize that being lean like has nothing to do with how you perform in your workspace. Um, and that can give you that really positive reinforcement of realizing yeah. that holding onto the lean body doesn't really mean anything because the people that care about you, the people that you care about, um, don't give a shit. Like, yeah. they literally don't care. And, and so the more you can create an identity or, like, the more you can build your own identity, set not just separate, but, like, on top of your body, the healthier that becomes. So I almost imagine, like, if you had a rainbow of things that make up who you are, one of them can be your physique and one of them can be the fact that you're a bodybuilder. But the more different identities you have, the more different things that you do, the easier it will be to remove that body focus. Yeah. Because you'll just feel so much more stable. You'll still feel whole. You'll still feel like yourself. Because if all you are, if you reduce yourself to just being a body, then of course it's going to be hard to let go of that. Of course it's going to be terrifying to let go of that. But if you are your physique, you're also a coach, you're also a client, you're also a partner, you're also a daughter, a sister, um, an employee, or like whatever that is. Like if you're still all these other things and you continue to be all those other things and people still love you for doing all those other yeah. things, then removing the body piece or like being in a bit of an awkward position with that body piece um, for a few weeks post-show it becomes a lot more manageable. It doesn't become as distressing. It's hard. It, it's really hard. We can't dismiss that, but it doesn't become as all-consuming or, yeah, just distressing more generally because you understand and appreciate that. It doesn't, like, if anything, not being as lean makes you a nicer person to be around, a lot more fun, you know, a lot more engaged, a lot yeah. more present, and actually contribute so much more to your life. And really, would you want to be known just for being how you look, how your body is? I'd hope Because, not. yeah, because realistically, like, if you were only friends with me because I looked great on stage, like, to be honest, I wouldn't really want to be your friend. Well, exactly. Like, what Do you know what I mean? Like, I would need to like me for me as yeah. a person, not... Not just the body. how I am on stage. No, 100%. And I think, yeah, I think that's what makes it really challenging, especially, like, again, it's a shame because some people don't have a lot of support going into bodybuilding. No. And they start getting... I mean, of course, you get a lot of attention when you're prepping, like, because you look but fantastic. And people see the effort that you're putting in. And, like, in today's society, like, anyone who can transform their body in that way is praised. And it's almost like we equate... um a body trans <clears throat> excuse me we equate a body transformation to like being a good person so people think like not just you work really hard but you're a good person for transforming your body and when yeah. you're only getting compliments for how you look and for nothing else you think well if i change the way that i look people no longer want to like like they're not going to like me anymore and that can be so challenging and i think it's just like being able to separate kind of society's shallow level like, in, in, enjoy it because it does feel nice when people compliment your physique and people yeah. compliment your hard work. It feels great. But being able to separate that from from who you are and from the actual qualities that make you a good person, something I always ask clients is, you know, if, if this 
scared to weigh themselves, post-show or whatever, like, if they've had a bit of a wobble and they're petrified about stepping on the scales, I asked them, okay, well, before you do that, what I'd like you to think about is, if I was to ask your best friend, your partner, your mother, whoever's, like, really important to you in your life, to tell me the three things they like the most about you, what would they say? And they kind of told me, and I was like, well, do you realise it has nothing to do with your weight? And so can you remind yourself of those things before you step on the scales? Because it just, it makes the blow less difficult to take. Yeah. Because you can remember that, you know what, this number doesn't define who I am. This number doesn't define why people hang out with me. And it doesn't define the quality of the person that I am. And I think, again, because, especially at the back end of a prep, your focus is so narrow, your uh, focus yeah. is on it's just, the number just on, the on that. Um, it can be so easy to forget, but reminding ourselves of those things, even like while you are on prep, waking up, if you check yourself in the mirror saying, my self-worth isn't equivalent to what my body looks like today or what the scale mm-hmm. says today, just saying some of those affirmations on like out loud can really help just kind of bring you back to the here and now. Because you step on the scales, and if they are, then you've already said to yourself, "This doesn't like this doesn't equal my worthiness as a person," no. and it can just become easier to move through it and move away from it. And you'll still need to do the things that you need to do. It doesn't make you lazier. I think a lot of people are scared of being compassionate towards themselves because they think that it will make them lazy and it will stop them from working harder. But it's the opposite. Like if you were to beat a donkey across the back with a stick. Like, yeah, it's going to fucking move faster. But what happens if you dangle a carrot in front of its face? You better fucking bet it's going to run as quick and you're not having to cause any harm. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. How can we metaphorically dangle that carrot in front of ourselves to motivate ourselves in a positive way, in a helpful way, to move forward? Because we will move forward. Then if we're constantly beating ourselves down, we'll get up. But we'll be fucking exhausting by the end. And it's just yeah. not worth it. It's not healthy to be stage lean either. And there's all of these kind of other aspects as well that of you know, as a woman, the chance are you've lost your cycle. Yeah. And you want to be getting that one back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not for me, it's always been I lose and I know you were saying the same, like you yeah. lose your femininity. Oh, like funny. I have like a granny bum and no boots. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not a cute look, like you look <laughs> shredded, right? This is why I always say to people, like like when they say, Oh my god, you look amazing, I'm like you know what, yeah, but, like, the better you look, the worse you feel. And, like, yeah. you wake up, you check in, you're I like... I don't think I do look better. I know, yeah. You look better for the same condition, but aside from that, everyone thinks you're, like, sick. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, you just look like... A, like I had someone... Yeah, so I obviously prepped through the third lockdown. Uh-huh. And, like, one of the um, guys at work, I went in, and he was like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, yeah I'm fine. He said, you look are wrong. you all right? And I was like, I'm fine. Molly, like, I hate to say it, but you look really ill. Yeah. Like, you yeah, look like yeah. you shouldn't be here. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm just on prep. Yeah. I was actually quite grateful to be prepping, like, during the winter, like, to be really lean when it was colder because it just meant that I was wearing hoodies all the time so people didn't see how lean I was. So people wouldn't get as scared. But you're cold all the time. Yeah, you're cold all the time, which sucks. Like, that was really challenging. But people don't see how lean you really look. And sometimes it just avoids the annoying conversation of like oh my god you look sick and you're like yes that's the point <laughs> do you know what I mean like you're, you're trying to get that lean but no I, I agree like you don't feel as feminine like I much prefer the way my body looks when I've got more body fat on me I've got curves 
I've got boobs, I've got hips, I've got like just parts that like my partner can actually grab onto. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I just don't want him to be like hugging a bag of like bones and muscle. Like it's yeah. just I don't feel attractive. I don't feel sexy. And I also have like absolutely no fucking sex drive or yeah, any interest in thinking about penises <laughs> at all. <laughs> so it's just like it's not a vibe and I, I just yeah. It's it's cool and it serves its purpose and I think like again making prep about more than just prep is really important because it's what about yeah. what it's it's about what you can take away from it. And actually going down that route is something I hadn't actually thought to ask you. Yeah. With um obviously you, you're in a long time, you know, you're engaged. Mm-hmm. How does your partner deal with it? <laughs> like do you like prep him for it and be like, this is what I'm gonna be like because I mean mm. My first prep, I was with someone mm-hmm. and lost my sex drive. And I didn't even realise. Yeah. Like, I would just go to bed and go to sleep because I was fucking tired. Mm. And he was like, why don't you want to have sex with me anymore? Why don't you fancy me? And I was like, I'm just really tired. Yeah. It's an interesting question. So, the first time I prepped, I obviously didn't know what to expect. Like, yeah. I knew I was going to be dieting, but, like, aside from that, that was it. And I think maybe, like, I was six weeks out from my photo shoot. Um, so, it was a 21-week prep in the end because I competed. But the photo shoot prep was going to be 18 weeks. So I was six weeks out from my photo shoot. And Jack, my partner, uh, we weren't engaged at the time, but he, we just had, like, a massive argument because he was just like, you've been such a bitch. Like, he obviously didn't say you've been such a bitch, but, like, I had been such a bitch. Um, <laughs> cranky, moody, so demanding, like, so rigid, so just, like, awful to be around. And I hadn't even realised. I was like, I am so sorry. Like, but he yeah. also... Because it was our first time, right? And, like... He he hadn't expressed his emotions to me because he also just didn't know what the hell was going on. And that taught us that communication was really important. So yeah. the second time I prepped, I was um, kind of in between. So I was, a, I was a, studying my master's and I prepped during the summer semester, which is when I was writing my dissertation. So I was in between Loughborough and, and kind of a, a flat in Edinburgh, but mostly, mostly in Edinburgh. But I'd said to Jack, you know, Obviously, I'm going to be prepping. Like, this is kind of what's yeah. going to happen for the next few months. We've been here before. Obviously, last time, I wasn't aware of what was happening. You weren't aware of what, what was happening. And, like, neither of us communicated our feelings to one another, which didn't work. So this time, whenever you feel that I'm being an absolute piece of shit, like a shithead, you need to call me out. Because, and I said to him, it is very likely that I'll be completely unaware and I know that's crap, but, like, I just won't see it. So you need to call me out straight away. And at the time, he was doing he was doing quite a bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I, I jokingly said to him, you know, you're allowed to choke me out. Like, you can probably <laughs> sleep if I'm being a bit of a cow. But it kind of gave him permission to kind of say, okay, well, I know that you know. And just to then, like, voice how he felt as the relationship went on, as prep went on. Did we still have arguments because of prep? Absolutely. But that's just, like, human and that's relationships. And same with this year, like, when I prepped there in 2021, again, just making very aware, what are the implications? Like, what is, what is this going to mean? I have a cross train in the house, and it was a bit squeaky, so it was saying, okay, I, I want to do my cardio faster in the morning, but let's negotiate. When can I start? Like, <laughs> when? what's the earliest that you won't mind hearing the squeakiness of the cross trainer? Having those conversations, they, again, we still had arguments at times that I was just being snappy, rude, not listening to him, not attending to his needs. But I think because I'm really lucky, like, we've always had a relationship where we've been, like, 
unconditionally supportive of one another in a sense that like we've always been really good that's awkward that okay we've always been really good at like allowing one another and supporting one another to pursue our own goals yeah that he's always he doesn't like bodybuilding at all he thinks it's like the most shallow thing on this planet um but he's always said to me you know if it makes you happy then why would I stop you from doing it like it's your life like it makes you happy which is really awesome because he understands that I need to go to the gym I need to do my cardio but then if he's got a day off I will make sure that I don't mind changing my schedule to get that over and done with so I can spend that time with him so I think it's just been well the first time we just learned the hard way um but again the fact that our relationship was based on that unconditional support of you do whatever makes you happy and I'm not going to stop you yeah that was really important but just knowing how to communicate and knowing what to expect and just saying to him look you know it's not that I don't love you it's just that I am so tired like I barely have energy to do anything and I love you to bits but I don't want to speak to you right now or to say to him to like you're being really like you're really grinding my gears at the moment and like I'm gonna snap so I'm just gonna take myself to bed yeah. and being totally okay with that just saying you know what like that's fine um so you could just communication I think is at the key of it yeah. and, and before it happens yeah. as well yeah because I feel so many people especially first timers go into prep and like I've heard it yeah like I heard it someone said to me the other day I've got a really high sex drive and I don't know yeah you wait till you start prep because I know this person's about to start prep and yeah. you um, yeah, I think that will change anything. No. No, <laughs> it will. <laughs> Just you wait. Just you wait. I don't think you can, like, but, I, yeah, no one knows you what know, it feels like. You know, to tell your partner, like, you know, you know, if you're with someone that competes as well, yeah, that's I cool. Like, it. to be fair, the last people I've dated have been bodybuilders and they get it and it's yeah. really nice. But, you know, like I said, my relationship last time I prepped in 2019, he wasn't. Yeah. And, yeah, we didn't know. And it was like, actually, if I could have spoken to them and said... I am going to lose my sex drive. You know, everyone's different. I don't feel like, I don't know, some people are going to listen to this and be like, Molly, you're fucking cranky. But I don't feel I'm cranky. I'm just very quiet. Mm. Because I've I've always got this thing that I never want to snap at people. I don't want to snap at anyone. Yeah. But I'm just going to be very zoned out. I mean, you did a posing lesson with me. And oh my God, (laughs) do you remember? I was just like, are you okay? I was like, Yes. Yeah. You, you were on a different planet at that time. But but no, I think I I try not to be cranky because of my work. Like I'm a coach. Yeah. I'm a psychologist. Like if I'm in a consulting slash therapy session with a client, like I can't be on You can't prep. snap at them. No, like I need to be fully present. And because my batteries are divvied out to my clients who I need to be professional with, unfortunately like Jack ends up being at the at the back end of the stick. Yeah. And I do like I do snap a lot, like, I'm half Italian, right? So, like, <laughs> I do snap. I have, I do have, like, quite a bad temper. It's, for me, it's being able to recognise it, but also the great thing is that Jack won't take any shit from me. He'll just be like, do you want to fucking snap out of that shit? And I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, he'll call me yeah. out for it straight away, which is really helpful because, again, like, it's not on purpose and it's not malicious. I just, I ju- you just feel like shit. And I, yeah, just being able to have that conversation, let them know, remind them in in whatever way that you can during prep that you do love them and that you are that you're trying you're trying your best but it's just hard like you know I was going to bed at 8 8 30 because my sleep was awful anyway like I was up like I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning not fall back asleep until 4 30 then I have to work I had like deadlines I had like loads of work to do 
and I was like, I just, like, no, I'm sorry, like, I don't want to come with you to see your mum, like, I just can't be fucked, like, I just don't have that energy, so I can't be fucked, I just don't want to sit there with a long face, watching the clock, desperate to go back home to sleep, yeah, I just don't want to be that person, I'd rather just stay alone, you go have that fun, I'll make up, I'll make it up to you in future, and I think actually you need that alone time in practice, because it's just like, yeah, you you just need time to be with yourself, be with your thoughts. You also need time to be distracted. And, like, to be fair, like, I quite like that Jack's not into bodybuilding because it means that when I'm with him, like, I didn't talk about bodybuilding because it's boring. Yeah. And it means that I try and engage with other stuff, which is nice because, yeah, I can speak to body... I, sp- I can speak about bodybuilding with my best friends who are into it, um, with with my coach, with with whoever... And I don't have to bring it to the relationship, and that's actually quite helpful because it just keeps it. It keeps me. I think it keeps me grounded. Yeah. Again, I don't, I've never been with a bodybuilder, so I wouldn't know it'd be different. But for me, I think it keeps me grounded, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a tangent to what we were talking no, you're about, fine. <laughs> but I think it's actually really important to talk about because, like you yeah. said, like if you're with someone that's a competitor, they get it. If yeah. you're not. They're, they're not going to get it, no. you know. And they, the same rule, I guess, applies to, like, kind of family and stuff as well. Yeah, but yeah. I think relationships kind of do take it the hardest. A hundred percent. And you hear a lot, of, a lot of people break up with yeah. their partners during prep, which is such a shame. And maybe that relationship was never going to last anyway. Maybe something else would have come up in the future. But who knows whether having some of those more challenging conversations would have made a difference. I think they, like, some people just don't... Just don't feel comfortable with the idea of it. I've heard it more like in the other way around, like when it's a girl competing with a guy who's not a competitor. This might ruffle a few feathers, but like the guy ego just gets his ego just gets bruised. He's completely insecure in himself. Yeah. And for some reason just doesn't feel comfortable with his partner prepping. Being in a bikini on stage makes them feel really fucking awkward and then decides that they're not going to support their partner and then they end up yeah, single. Yeah, because they think it's like some sexual thing or something. You're not like, oh, for Christ's sake. Which is like... Yes, I'm wearing a bikini on stage, but no, I'm not... There's not a fucking pole there. I'm not pole dancing. No, and even if you were fucking pole dancing, like, if they love you, like, they should be able to fucking support you in whatever you want. Like, it's the... Yeah. It's 2022, people. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we should be over this. But no, I think it is just like... A lot of the times, like, guys just don't feel comfortable with their partners prepping or they don't understand why they have to spend so much time in the gym and, like, they don't take the time, in my opinion, anyway, to stop and listen. But if they were, like, just having a bit more awareness around, like, what would happen. Like, it'd be cool if, like, coaches could have a couple sit-down conversation before prep starts. Couple therapy before. Yeah, and and they can speak to to both parties and say, look, this is what you can expect. Yeah. But... Also, there are so many articles and resources out there that, like, if you wanted to find out and if you wanted to support your partner, you can do it. Yeah. You just have to want to do that. Yeah. So, not putting... And there's definitely ways to do it. And, like, just think, okay, do you know what? My girlfriend, my boyfriend's on prep. I'm not going to... It's their birthday. Normally, I'd book a meal, but we can't go for a meal. So, mm-hmm. why don't I think of something else to do Oh, well, there's can so do. many things that you can do. Like, don't oh, yeah. for our anniversary. We went, like, bowling. I was I went to like this uh, arcade thing and it was so much fun and like yeah. he had me a lot and like I wasn't bothered again like I'm not going to stop him from having takeaways or pizzas or, like eating eating whatever he wants just because I'm on prep like I am making that choice for myself he should not have to suffer the consequences of it like it's shit enough that we can't go out for like meals or like if we do I just need to research it and I need to make sure that you know 
just bend my head backwards to like figure it out. It's a bit awkward, and I, it's easy if we don't do that. But they shouldn't have to suffer the consequences of me prepping. But also, they shouldn't be so selfish that they should expect me to bend over backwards to adjust their yeah, life. Absolutely. Like there's always going to be an element of compromise. So if we can go somewhere that has something that I can eat that they can eat, and then base our dates around things that don't include food and drink, then it's a heck of a lot more fun. And do you know what? Dates that aren't food and drink are often more fun anyway. Oh, they absolutely are. It's nice when you can do that also, but, um, you know, what's wrong with going out for a hike? Like, I remember for our birth, for my birthday, I was like one week into prep, and we went and stand up paddleboarding, and it was so much fun. Yeah. Like, it was so cool. Um, again, there's just like, there's so many things that you can do. We did escape rooms for my birthday, because I was on prep. There you go. We, we were so shit because there was two of us on prep. <laughs> So like there was no not too. Oh, I think we were yeah. I think we were around like four weeks out or something. Oh so. my god, we were trying to do. Actually, it's probably closer than that. Yeah. Yeah, my first show was May. Oh yeah, my first show. No, my first show. I didn't think it was in April. End of April. Yeah, end of April. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't have normal venues yet. Oh uh, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I mean in 2019. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, this year, nothing was open on my birthday. That was it. So, I actually went to work on my birthday, because it was the day after the gym's opened. Fucking hell. And, um, yeah, but I wasn't going to do anything anyway. I know, yeah. So, I went for a walk with my family the day before. Uh-huh. Or a couple of days before. And then, yeah, my birthday, we went for a walk, and then we went and got a cup of tea. There you go. It doesn't have to be, like... Like, it's not hard. If you want to support someone, like, you'll make the effort to support them. Yeah. So make the effort to support them. Like, don't be that person who's just, like, a dick and, like, won't move. Yeah. Because it's hard enough, like, being on prep. Like, you have to be quite rigid. Um, but you can create some flexibility if you know that the people around you are also willing to create some flexibility for you. I think that's important to know. Yeah. So, kind of, this is almost, like, going back to what we were just kind of talking about mm. um, before we start talking about partners, but... I know there's like going to be a few guys listening that have struggled with eating disorders in the past and bodybuilding and post-show could potentially be a trigger. Are there yeah. ways that you could kind of stop this from happening before it happens? I think um, making sure that when you start bodybuilding, like you're prepped, that you are in a healthy position. So like if you, I wouldn't advise starting prep if you have incredibly high food focus, if you have a really negative self-talk with regards to your body, if your body image doesn't match the way that you're like your internal body image doesn't match the way that your body actually looks i would strongly strongly discourage anybody from starting prep i would encourage them to spend time nurturing those relationships and seeing if after that they still want to prep and if they do it's making sure that whatever helped you come out of that is something that you can still maintain during prep and understanding what your lines are so for example when I first started working with Vaughn I had just kind of I was starting to work more deliberately on my relationship with food and my body so I've struggled with binge eating I struggled with bulimia when I was a teenager um and with binge eating as a young adult I've never been diagnosed with that's probably because I never told anybody um I struggled quite a bit with it it was it was really challenging um but like you know, the stars aligned and I found myself in a position where I was able to work on things that I found helpful to get me out of that hole. Now, I'm not saying that 
everyone should do this alone or could do this alone. It would probably, like, I would have saved myself a lot of grief if I'd spoken to somebody about it. But, yeah, so in whatever shape or form that you can, if you can start to move through that and just applying tools that are helpful for you, keep those in your life. So, for example, for me, I used to body check loads. When I started working with my coach, it took away some of that pressure. I stopped body checking. Like, I would do my once-a-week check-in, and that was it. I wouldn't spend hours in front of the mirror pinching my body. If I caught myself or noticed myself pinching my body, I would kind of name it and say, I'm noticing that I'm doing this. Like, I need to not do that because that's not kind. It makes me feel like shit. I don't want to do that. Um, So... And another thing that I started to do was mindful eating. Um, And this was even before I started dieting. So learning how to take my time eating meals, learning how to kind of assess my hunger and my satiety before, during and after a meal. Those things were really helpful for me. Uh, And so when I started dieting, I was in a good place with my body, with my relationship with food. And I also said to my coach, if at any point during this prep, I feel like this gets a bit too scary, a bit too dangerous, a bit too close to that line. We're stopping this. Like, yeah. I don't have, I don't feel any obligation. And I'm like type A perfectionist. So if I do, if I say I'm doing something, like I am doing it. But to say out loud, if this doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. If my mental health feels too compromised, I'm not going to do it. It was really important because I gave myself permission to, I gave myself permission to stop if I wanted to. And I also made the commitment through that to constantly check up on myself. Because how are you going to know if you're close to those lines if you're not constantly checking on yourself? So making prep a really reflective process was helpful because I was constantly thinking, okay, well, how does this feel? Like, yes, I know that I am going to be more focused on food. I know that I am going to be more focused on my body. I know that I am maybe going to be a little bit more inflexible around certain things, but how can I cope with those situations? How am I coping with the situations? Who's in my support circle that if things do get a bit wobbly, I know I can rely on? So I would certainly say making your coach aware, A for one, knowing what strategies you've got in place to support you is number two, and maintain the strategies. Like, yeah, you know, it's almost like if you, if you hoover and get rid of the dust, it's all great, but like if you never hoover again, it does will accumulate, yeah. yeah. So just keeping on top of those things. But if you think that it's not safe for you to compete, don't. Like, wait. Work on yourself first. It's not worth your mental health. It's not worth the difficulties that you can experience with eating and with food and with your body and everything to... Yeah, it's, it's not worth putting yourself through that I don't think anyway absolutely not and if people ever did have trouble you know with these things this is something that you could help them with yeah they, they certainly not not at a clinical level that's not what I'm equipped for but I can help people kind of on who maybe struggle with their relationship with exercise and maybe feel like they can't get rid of some of their exercise rules I can help people around that and if anyone feels comfortable speaking to me first I can help them find the appropriate referral pathways too but you know, there's, there's charities that have got really useful information that might help you flag up if there is anything that you should be addressing, like the charity Mind. Um, they've got resources coming out quite soon around physical activity and, like, exercise addiction. That's really good. Um, Myo Minds is another organisation that demystifies kind of the relationship with exercise and our bodies and 
kind of more kind of done the fitness industry lines again they've got loads of resources they're actually coming out with a resource um what's it called it's called like the gym goers guide so it's okay. basically like pulling together just different things that you can be aware of and be mindful of when you start going to the gym when you kind of ongoingly engage with the gym just to make sure almost like that self-MOT procedure, like what other questions that you could be asking yourself to make sure that that relationship with exercise and with food is serving you in a helpful and a meaningful way and isn't tipping a balance to, towards something that could compromise your mental health like further down the line. Um, and then kind of the other charities like Beat, uh, Beat ED, I think it's like Beated, um, kind of your main mental, like eating disorder charity in the UK, there's another one called First Steps ED. I can send you the links if you want to put them in the podcast description. Um, yeah, that would be wicked, actually. But, yeah, there's loads of resources out there that you can find if you do want to just maybe read up on it a little bit more and think. And if you're not sure and if you're like, mm, I don't know if my relationship with exercise or food or body is in a good place to start prep, I'd strongly encourage you to, like, look into those things. And if you're unsure, you can always speak to, to myself or another professional um, to explore that and then make an informed decision as to whether prepping is a good idea because even if your coach maybe tells you that you have the potential to become a pro if you're not in the right headspace it's not like you can become a pro later like the stage isn't going anywhere bodybuilding is growing it's not it's not (laughs) getting any smaller no exactly so it's not worth it it's just not fucking worth it in my opinion that's cool um so we've kind of touched on this already but like the, you don't want it enough raise. I personally find it really damaging um, to like both myself and clients as well. What's your kind of opinion on this? And do we always need to be like hundred percent in to be a bodybuilder? No, <laughs> and I hate I hate that you don't want it enough raise. It's really, it's really frustrating and it's really damaging because I think it just like, ugh, where to begin? It really. It's kind of, there's a lot of those kind of phrases though, isn't there? Yeah, I think it just like completely ignores the human experience. Like, and and just, it, it's void of context. Like, it's so void of context. Like, I'm really sorry, but like, you don't want it enough, like doesn't work for someone who's got a full-time job that's got nothing to do with the fitness industry, two kids, single parents, and a million other responsibilities to deal with. Like, you don't want it enough. Like, if they eat more on a given day because they're really stressed, it's not because they don't want it enough. It's because they're fucking stressed. Yeah. Because they don't have enough support in, like, other areas of their life. So saying to them that they're a bad person because that's the implication, you don't want it enough, therefore you're lazy, therefore, you it's know, like, it's whatever. It's like guilt as well, isn't Yeah, it, you you're guilt-tripping them. Like, it's just not helpful at all. Um, and it creates a really negative motivation to continue engaging with the process because you no longer feel like you're doing it for others essentially it means that if you pick back up where you were at with that dieting phase you are adhering to it because you want to avoid punishment or you don't want to feel shame for your behavior you're not doing it because it's really important to you because it's something that you value um and it's just uh, it's just disrespectful and quite frankly, rude and ignorant to say that to somebody, oh, you just don't want it enough. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, what do Absolutely. you know about what I want? Yeah. If if that coach is saying that, it's just that they've not even bothered to understand what prep means to that individual. And maybe that person has 
lost sight of their values. And maybe that person has lost sight of how prep ties into their values. For example, if they value personal growth and development and they're really struggling to move through the challenges of prep and they keep slipping up, for example, they keep you know, missing out on their cardio across the weeks. It's not that they didn't want it enough, it's just that they're really tired. And maybe all they need to be reminded of is how does doing your cardio help you grow as a person? How does it keep you learning about yourself? How can you bring it back to that person's values? Because saying it to them like they don't want it good enough, it's like, well, it's that client's goal. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're doing it, you're doing it for yourself, not for your coach. And if you're a coach, you need to remember that it's your client's goals. Like, you obviously want to improve your business. You want to showcase what you do. You want to show that you're good at your job. But, like, at the end of the day, you shouldn't be doing that at the expense of your client's well-being. And your client, you you shouldn't want the goal more than your client. And if your client doesn't fucking want that goal, and if, in fact, they don't want it bad enough, why are you still prepping them? Yeah. I think and as a good coach, you should... Pull them back and go, do you know what? Is this the best this, thing for yeah. you? Yeah. I don't know if this is the best thing for you. And I think a lot of people are too scared about that because then they think that it reflects badly on them. Like if one of their clients pulls out of prep, it reflects badly on them when that's not the case. It reflects no. well because it shows that they're actually paying attention to what their client wants and what their client is actually working towards and what's meaningful to them because a prep might be meaning really meaningful at the beginning of a prep and then what happens when, like, you have a major life change at six weeks out and prep no longer matters? Then why should you continue to prep? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. What? why should you? And it's not that you don't want it bad enough. It's just that it's no longer a priority or maybe it is a priority and you just need to rejuggle things and, and take a different perspective on it. But I think for most people as well, and I've always, always said this, is bodybuilding does not pay your bills. No! You know? It's so and expensive! <laughs> it's so fucking expensive. So, you know, you've always got to take the other priorities that are your job, that are paying your mortgage, Yeah. if you have a mortgage or your rent, you know, your family, your, if you've got children, your children, like, they're always going to come above yeah. that. So, yeah, you don't want it enough, okay, cool, but do you know what? You're probably going to want to be a good mother or a good father yeah. Yeah. more than you want to step on stage. And yeah. if that isn't right and you'd rather step on stage and be a good mum or a good dad, then you've got some serious questions yeah. to answer, I think. If stepping on stage and if pushing yourself helps you then become a better person and a better parent later down the line, that's fine. It's just understanding, like, from that coaching perspective, before you make a statement like that, can you put yourself and really... Not just empathize, but like be compassionate about the position in which your client is in. Like, can you understand what it might feel like to have all the stuff going on and find yourself in a situation where you are, you know, hands deep into the cereal box? Like, because if you can't empathize and understand, it might not make any sense to you, right? And that's okay, it doesn't have to make sense to you, but you have to be able to empathize with them and say, you know what, like, I get it, like, it's okay you're not to blame because you're hungry and you're fucking human like you're just fucking human you're just hungry you're responding to normal cues that you've never had to ignore before so that's fine is there anything else that's going on for you that i maybe i'm not aware of is there a way that i can potentially reduce the stresses that you're exposed to like what else can i do to support you like do you need a simpler meal plan do you need things to be pulled back for a little bit like do we need to push your show day back if you're really struggling with things right now, like, how can I help you? 
as opposed to dismissing what whatever's going on, essentially calling you lazy, and then not coming to like an actual helpful solution. Like how? Who who does that help? It helps your ego maybe as a coach who's like, yo, yeah, my heart can't. But actually, you're just being pathetic. I yeah. think. Absolutely. So I know you're very similar to me that on prep food goes super low yeah. and cardio goes super high to get into condition. How do you manage doing so much cardio when you have such little energy? Because how I don't know how this was the hardest prep you've ever done in terms of cardio and calories. Yeah, it? yeah, it was. Um, so that the most, the worst week of prep was one week, two weeks out. So the week before my first peak week, I was doing double cardio. Um, so I was doing. I did, how do you feel about like sharing numbers and all that type of stuff? Do you feel comfortable with that? On the yeah, that's fine. Yeah, fine? Uh, just as a bit of a trigger warning, like it is low, but and, and a lot. But I was doing sixty minutes in the morning of fasted cardio, and then twenty minutes post workout on nine hundred odd calories in a training day, oh, and eight hundred odd calories in a non training day. Like yeah. it was, and eighteen thousand steps on top of that. It was disgusting. Like it was so hard. But I don't know, like part of me was, again, just seeing it as a choice. So I would step on the cross trainer. So I've got a cross trainer in my office. I'm really, really lucky about that. But I would step on it going, right, you can stop whenever you want. Mm. But do you want to stop? And so I'd go on it knowing, right, like I knew that I was going to step off when the hour was done. But in my mind, I was like, every minute that I keep going is a choice that I'm consciously making. Like, this is important to me. I actually remember when we added on, like, so before, when cardio went up to an hour, I could do either one hour in one go or I had the option of, like, 45 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes post-workout. I didn't once not do the hour in the morning because in my mind, I was like, the extra 15 minutes at the end, those are the choice minutes. Right, And yeah. so I came to the 45 minutes, which I was used to doing already, and I was like, right, these are the choice minutes. Make it fucking count. Like, you're choosing to do this. You can stop at any point. Do you want to do 14 minutes post-workout? Do you want to do 13 minutes post-workout? Do you want to do 12, 11, blah, blah, blah. So it, just reframing that in that way. And don't get me wrong. Like, it was hard. Like, there was days where before stepping on the cross trainer, like, I, I genuinely wanted to cry. Or the first two minutes would go by and I had to stop, open the windows, do something different just to get my head in the right headspace because if I was going on just thinking negatively thinking I'm not going to be ready fuck this is really hard it just wouldn't help something that actually did help me was instead of counting minutes I would count songs so I had like loads of different playlists right so I had my cheesy tunes playlist which I had like you know all your fucking Venga Boys Cascada all that all those belters then I had like a Spanish Latin music playlist which is also really fun and then I had a musicals playlist, which is like super singy songs. So what I would say to myself, I started with a playlist depending on my mood. I'd be like, right, I'm going to do six songs from this playlist. Because each song is about three minutes. Three times six is about 18 minutes. Most songs are a bit longer. If I count six songs, that's 20 minutes. That's a third. If after six songs... Okay, this is a weird shit that goes up in your mind, right? But like, if after six songs... I'm sick of this playlist, I can change playlists. And then I'll do another six songs on a different playlist. And then that's me two thirds of the way there. Did you have six songs on each playlist? It was just random. And sometimes I would just, sometimes I, w- I would do more. I'd be like, oh, I can do another song. Or I can do another song. And then when I'd switch playlists, I'd be like 25 minutes in. I was like, fucking yes, I've only got 
35 minutes left. Yeah. Um, so that was helpful too, like just kind of finding ways that you can chunk it into your mind. That was helpful for the really grueling days. Other times it was just imagining myself on stage. It was imagining how do I want to feel? Do I want to step on stage knowing that I did everything that I could in my power to do that? Like, how would I feel on stage if I didn't push myself when I knew that I could push myself a bit more? Yeah. How would I feel on stage if I was to stop cardio now and just like sack it off for today? And I just knew that for me, what stepping on stage meant was the ability to stick to a goal and like put everything that I have into it. And that was really valuable to me. And so even on the really, like really hard days where I'd be walking back from the gym to get my 18,000, I'd walk to the gym and walk back from the gym to get my 18,000 steps in. I'd have done my 60 minutes of cardio in the morning worked out come back home had to do another 20 minutes on the cross trainer like it would just be like just just one step at a time like if you stop too long to think about it like it just gets harder just keep yourself going just just one more minute just one more minute like it's a choice you can stop whenever you want like you can stop yeah but do you want to stop and just constantly having that reflection in my mind of like can you do it today like can you do another minute can you finish this track and if it was really hard i'd say right after the song, like, you can stop if you want to. And the song would finish. And the next song would come and I'd be like, no, like, I've got another song in me. Like, mm-hmm. I can do this. Just finding those ways, those skills, those tools to, whenever you need to, stop thinking about it. Like, block it off. Block off the pain. Break your teeth. Because there's something that would just be like, you know what? The first 10 minutes are going to suck. You're going to grit your teeth. It's, it's going to be painful. But you just need to get through those first 10 minutes. Boom. And get it done. And other times it just felt more lighthearted and, you know, writing those positive days, feeling good, thinking about what I wanted to be, thinking about other things, getting distracted, thinking about my clients. Yeah, Yeah. for me, it's it's distraction. Yeah. So I would save up, like, if I'd got messages, emails, things to respond to, because I'm literally the worst person for replying to people. So when I've got cardio, I'd sit and reply messages yeah um i'd if i knew i had to buy something online like say your supplement order right you have to do like every month oh and you would do that on cardio I'd do that when i'm yeah. doing cardio you know i'd do say i needed some new trainers i'd sit and look i always need new trainers yeah actually. and you look up do that. you ever not need new trainers no you never <laughs> don't need them yeah i think it's just like finding whatever skills help you and again knowing yourself really well and experimenting with different things seeing what other people do And you just develop a lot of these tools and techniques as you get through prep. I actually found that it was harder for me to get going with my cardio when I had less cardio to do. Because when I had cardio daily, it was just like a, well... You just do it. You just have to get started. And I knew that, yeah, the minute that this starts, like, that's me on this cross trainer for the next 45 minutes, 50 minutes to an hour. And that's what I've, like, this is what I signed up to do. Like, not kind of being a martyr, but really just saying, well... I'm here for the discomfort because for me, pushing myself into the discomfort zone expands my comfort zone and I grow yeah. from it. And so whenever I notice that pain, whenever I notice that pull telling me I didn't want to do it, I'd say, okay, like this is where this is where I need to double down on this and this is where I need to lean into it. And it's hard. Like it's not fuck me, like it's not easy, but doing prep for more than just like wanting to transform my physique makes it easier because if it was just to look good I wouldn't bother no I wouldn't it 
just would not be worth it. But because it was more than that, it made it worth it. And I had this vision of like my last show being in France, my mum being able to come and see me. And that's kind of what kept me going this time around. So making the goal, the ultimate goal, like really meaningful to you, like that can also really help. Yeah. So I know obviously you're a coach and opposing coach as well. So what's been, and actually, you know, with your psychology side of things Mm -hmm. as well, what's kind of been your best moment of your kind of coaching career at the moment? Oh, what a good question. Um, oh, I can't pick one. There's so many. I think for me, it's like, I, I love like being there for my clients for their photo shoots when they step on stage. Like that's just those first experiences of like clients getting there on their photo shoot day and like they've accomplished it and you can be there with them. Like that's so magical. But for me, it's it's not one moment. It's it's the moments that you share with clients in between check-ins, yeah. messages that you get, the comments that they make in their check-in sheet that like, do you know, like a picture can never really capture those things. But it's when someone says, oh my God, like this is the first Christmas that I have not felt disgusting after it. And you're like, mm. fuck, I know that's because that's what we've done. Or when someone says, I would have never had the confidence to wear a crop top before and now yeah. I can. Or when someone says, I would have never had the confidence to gain weight. And now I've been able to do that. And for them to really be able to see how much their life has changed off the back of potentially some of the influence that you've had on them. Like, just money can't pay what that feels yeah. like to know. Because you, you know that that person, you know that you've made that person feel a really special way. And it's just like, it's so empowering or like even with psychology and like psychology interventions that I run like when someone realizes just what is really meaningful to them like they realize why they exercise or they realize that you know actually being in the gym four days a week isn't what's most important to them and maybe like what's more important to them is like to be at the gym once once a week go for a run and then go for a hike over the weekend and they no longer feel guilty for not going to the gym because they thought that that was what they had to do. Things like that, that, you know, nobody sees. Yeah. Really. They, they know and you know, but that is about it. And I just think like that is, that's the coolest thing by far because like I said, they're going to remember that. And that's something that they're probably going to carry with them. Like, you know, for the rest of their life. So even just like someone being able to have an untracked meal and not feel guilty about it. Because they're like, well, you know, I've learned so much about food and nutrition that I know I can have an untracked meal once a week or, like, go out drinking with my friends for whatever reason and, like, that that's not going to ruin my goals and I'm no longer living in the black and white cycle and spiral of dieting. They're, like, in a much healthier place. Like, it's just, like, it's so fucking good. I just think that's the best thing ever. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. it, it's not just your competitor goes on stage, cool, or does a shoot, cool. But that's the cherry on top of the it's cake. It's so isn't the it? cherry on top of the cake. Like you know, there's so many the, moments that happened yeah. before that that allow them to get to that place that only you and them really know. Like because yeah. no one, no one understands what it's like to message your coach when you're just like having dog shit of all days, and for them to pick you up and you just and and, and that's what makes you not like on that day you don't quit because of that message. Yeah. Because of the thing that your coach said, because of the moment you were able to share because of the reminder because they've been working with you like for 60 plus weeks 
and they know that this means more to you than just this kind of moment of whatever it might be so yeah for me the, the best part about the job is is the moments that no one else sees that are just like for you and your client and they might not even be like significantly huge but it's just those almost like sliding door moments where things could have gone one way or the other and their ability to appreciate how things have changed is what keeps them going essentially that's cool yeah and your final question is mm. what is the one thing you would like anyone listening to take away from today's podcast that's a hard question i know because you've hit about five million knowledge bombs today clara oh god okay i think uh the most important thing for someone to take away from this podcast would be that bodybuilding is an amazing experience but you don't have to like bodybuilding doesn't have to compromise your mental health like being in the fitness industry shouldn't imply a compromise with your mental health and there are many ways and skills to do it in a way that doesn't put you in a more precarious position and that's I suppose like for clients competitors athletes and for coaches um just knowing that there are ways there are things that you can do in your coaching practices that can really improve a client's kind of experience and your experience of coaching them too like you can learn that there are so many other ways of doing things and you might feel really empowered if you just learn a bit more about how you can create a psychologically informed space for your coaching clients because it can make a real difference and it's you know, it's it's nothing revolutionary, but if you if you apply them in a very practical and deliberate way, it it just it makes such a difference. So there there are better ways of doing things, and there's always more to learn, I suppose. <laughs> That's cool. So if anyone wants to find you, where can they find you or get in contact with you? The best place is Instagram. So my coaching Instagram page. I've got two, like one for my psychology business and one for my coaching business. The coaching one is Clara SW underscore VW Physique. And my psychology one is the underscore Exercyc. It's like a play on words of exercise and psychology. Um, but I tend to be posting from like both accounts anyway. So that's probably the best place. And yeah, just my DMs are always open. You can find my email address and all that jazz on those. Um, but yeah, that's probably it. Cool. Have you got anything else you want to add today? No, I just thank you for having me on the podcast, Molly. This is fun. Cool. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed yeah. it a lot. We, I think we were, like we would have had that conversation anyway, so like it's cool to have it recorded. That's yeah, nice. well, we'd like discussed. So I'm like up in Scotland at the moment, but big team me, yes. and <laughs> yeah, we've just we've kind of discussed quite a lot of this anyway today. Yeah. Just because I always like to pick your brains and learn um, mm-hmm. new things from you. But yeah. It's nice to have it on recording. I hope it was helpful anyway. I'm sure there's so many people that are going to benefit from this. So. Yeah, guys, chat to Clara if you've any got any questions because she just is such a great knowledge <laughs> one and is such a lovely person. And, um, you know, I can now say, like, you know, she's such a great friend of mine as well. So thank you for joining me, Clara. You're and very I'm sure we'll be back for another episode at some point as hopefully, well. Hopefully, indeed. Yeah. So thanks for listening, guys, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.